From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for November 2nd. It's November, Ryan Ballinger of 2017. This is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. We welcome in Ryan Ballinger, uh, Golf News Net, Yahoo Devil Ball Golf Blog to talk golf. Um, first of all, hello, good evening. Um, second of all, uh, I, I, I believe Tiger Woods is more active than me on social media now. That's scary. Um, Ryan's on the show because obviously Tiger has committed to come back a hero, and I believe, if I've read between the lines correctly, you and I have a similar point of view, so it's a nice launching point for this, which is I'm just concerned and scared that this is too much, too soon, too fast. I love the videos. I love your excitement for wanting to come back and take this on Tiger and do all this, but I think that it's too much, too soon, too fast. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm in that camp. I mean, I kind of tweeted, and I think you probably read between the lines correctly. He went from at the beginning of October, the President's Cup, with this sentiment that yeah, I, I could retire, I could see that situation, to at the end of October and early November, saying, all right, I'm ready to play against the best in the world. I'm I'm coming back, and now he's got another 30 days to figure out how to physically do that, and that seems like a really short turnaround for a guy who in April had his spine fused together in a very important place and that the the comeback time from that is just to be a normal person again is six to nine months and that to do anything physical that you may or may not ever be able to do that again depending on how well the surgeon works and all of a sudden he's bypassing that timeline to say all right well I have my surgery in April at the end of November so basically in seven months give or take a few weeks, I'm going to go back to living my life. That just seems insane to me. All right. Now, the, the President's Cup statement I can understand. The President's Cup statement to me read, I need to be open to the fact that as I ramp up, uh, something may go wrong and I may never play golf yeah. again. So that statement I didn't mind. What okay. what that makes sense. What does not make sense to me, and Bob Harrig, who is as close to the Tiger camp as any reporter in golf, um, hinted at, which could be true, is that the actual that that the doctors cleared him at a date that has not been disclosed by Tiger's camp. In other words, he may have been fully cleared two weeks ago, and that is a fact, but this ramp-up period may have been able to happen earlier than we realized, and they were just keeping it on the DL so that if something did go wrong, it wouldn't seem like something had happened. And this jives with a statement Noda made um, in response to the the, uh, Stinger video. No, the, the, the first full swing video, where he said on Golf Channel, um, or maybe it was the dry, I, one of these videos, where basically he said, you know, I asked Tiger recently when he thinks he can do what it, whatever it was, and he kind of gave me a wink and a smile. So it seemed to me that Tiger's own timeline of what actually happened may be a little bit ahead of what has been publicly displayed. I, I, I want to think about the schedule here for a second, because as we talked about last year, this is, a, this is almost a, a spitting um, um, same image of a podcast we did last year, that Tiger runs up against this issue of lack of events leading up to Augusta and potential issues with warm weather and cold weather. 
And lo and behold, last year he was great in the heat and humidity in December and got the cold Tory and then the long flight to Dubai where it was kind of cold in the morning and lo and behold, the issues sprung up. Although if you listen to Fred Couples, the issues may have sprung up in the offseason before all that happened. Anyway, right. yeah. I am just, I, I would, I said this to somebody recently, I would rather see Tiger say, I'm sorry Augusta, I love you. If I can get to the Masters in 2018, that's great, but if not, I, I, you know, who cares? I'll have eight more Augustas if I do this right later on and just say, look, I'm going to take this until I can properly, um, um, you know, just to take this as, as, as slow as I can and whatever happens, happens. And if I'm ready for Augusta, great. And if it has to be May or June when, when I can play more warm weather events, so be it. I fear that not only is this too too much too soon too fast, but this is a rush for Augusta scheduling, and he's going to run into weather problems again. It's, I mean, it's totally possible. I, I, at a certain point, though, if Tiger is going to be more than a guy who just plays the three majors he's exempt to for life, He's got to be able to play in different sets of weather, different sets of conditions. You got to be able to travel. You got to be able to do all those things. So if he wants to be a guy, he even plays a limited schedule. I don't know, let's say ten to fifteen events a year. He's not going to be able to do those things. And so at a certain point, you need to be able to take that risk and do it. I agree with you that it is. While it is convenient for him to come back to the Hero World Challenge because he runs the event, it's a hit and giggle. Albany is flat. He has a home. Like all, there are a lot of things that work in his favor. Wide open, it, it, wide open. Playing this tournament at, at the same time, he did this last year, trying to come back pretty aggressively. Although that was a sixteen month, basically time away, fifteen to sixteen months of time away. Now he's doing it in a shorter time frame after a more serious surgery. Although it's one that had a more certain outcome than the microdiscectomy and whatever that follow up procedure was. Even still, I, I feel like, like you said, he's trying to set up to get to the Masters. He's trying to find form. Where am I now? Okay, let's get to the new year. Let's go play Tory, maybe Phoenix, maybe Honda. Hopefully, if he's smart, he won't do Dubai again, even though it's free money. And he'll play like three or four domestic events. And then, okay, let's go play the Masters. Let's go see if we can win this thing. And I feel like that's too aggressive. And I think if of all of the events that he could drop from a competitive standpoint, never mind the optics of not being able to play your own event, the Hero World Challenge is the one you would most likely drop. You would drop Tory too, and you would say, all right, I'm going to go play Phoenix, even though it gets cold in the mornings there. I'm going to go play Honda. I'm going to play Palmer, and then I'm going to go play the Masters. And I would play four events, and we would see where we're at at that point, and, and that would be what I would do. If I were Tiger Woods, which is a pretty weird thing to think about, but if I were Tiger, <laughs> I would. That's how I would look at it. I think. Um, talking to Ryan Ballinger, obviously about golf stuff. Now, the third component of this, um, which is the one, uh, which, which is partly why I have you on because you have sources. Um, uh, 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 sorry, I have you on for 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 this specific topic. I don't know how long the hero deal is. Um, is it through what nineteen? Did they sign a three-year deal, a four-year deal? Do you know how long that deal is offhand? I, I think it was three, maybe four, but I, I think it was three. Through so that ends nineteen, I think, right? Okay. Eighteen, 
18 or 19. I just wondering in the back of my head if he's really trying to make those people happy. And if sure, yeah. and, and if he's rushing this to make a sponsor happy for his event because he doesn't want to have to put up $4 million every year of his own money, um, which I don't blame him for. Uh, this event is near and dear to his heart. It's what started it all. It goes to the Learning Center in Anaheim, blah, blah, blah. I just fear that the motivation for this specific event and for this specific time is not the right motivation. And I would, uh, and I, I would hope the hero people would have said to him, look, we don't care if you play, we just want you healthy. What's your read on if this was for sponsor reasons or some kind of, maybe not even something in the contract, but just something to, uh, to appease a, uh, a sponsor and not have them bolt something that's so dear to him? I don't know for sure, um, but when you think about when he came back from the first microdiscectomy, he came back too soon, and he admitted that he came back too soon to play his own event because he wanted to appease, and he didn't say this, but this is kind of easily reading between the lines. Yeah. He wanted to appease, first of all, Quicken Loans for putting their money behind the event after AT&T had been out of it, and then also thanking the congressional membership, which had a very contentious vote among its membership to agree to host the tournament every other year. And 14 was the first year that they were going to be on this every other year system. So he wanted to be able to play that event and bring all the star power that comes with Tiger Woods playing a tournament to be able to have the best field possible, get the best turnout, get the most exposure, and kind of fluff up both the sponsor and, and the host club. I, I'm sure that's probably part of it here. Uh, Hero seems like they are very interested in golf, generally speaking. They have sponsorships on the European tour. They have sponsorships on the Asian tour. Uh, they sponsor individual players, Lahiri. Um, you can kind of go down the line of their involvement in golf. So I don't think that they're necessarily in danger of not renewing as a sponsor. But I'm, I'm sure that Tiger wants to say, hey, you know, like, I, I want to be able to play this event if possible, and you guys put at least $4 million behind this event, probably closer to 6 with all the charity stuff that's in, involved in the end let's say five to six million dollars behind this event i want to be able to make your investment as worth it as humanly possible the plus side for this event in particular is that to get in this tournament tiger is breaking his own rules you're supposed to be a top 50 player in the world to be in this tournament and for the 1155th whatever he is player in the world right now I, I, is in the field i think it's worse than that ryan which is oh, staggering really, really. i think it's like at that, at that point it's a rounding error in the world Yes, and and this is a 2015 rules change, um, which allows Tiger to do this in the first to place. To exempt himself. Yes. Yeah, so, so, I mean, it, it, I, I'm sure it has something to do with trying to fulfill sponsor obligations and, and make them feel better and all that good stuff. But even if Tiger didn't play in this tournament, he still had a really good field. I mean, you still have Speed, DJ, Hideki, whoever else you got down the line, Alex Norin. Tommy Fleet. I mean, you got great players. You forgot about JT. You forgot about JT, JT, who could at that point be going for number one in the world or close to. Yeah. So you got great players in this field, regardless of whether Tiger plays or not. And Ten of the top fourteen until Leash. Um, 
Leishman and, and, and just bowed out. Yeah, plus Jason Day and, and in are Stenson and Chapel. Which I mean, hey, that's fine. They're still world class players. I yeah. mean, you still you still have in an eighteen man field seventeen players in the top fifty in the world. Yeah, I don't name for me how many PGA Tour stops have that with a hundred. At 20, 132, 144, or 156 players. Yeah. There are not that many of them. So, or, or 78. You forgot about 78. <laughs> or 78, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but usually the WGCs snag it for free money. And yeah. that's why you get these guys here. Free yeah. money. But still, you have an, an incredible world-class field in December for an unofficial PGA Tour stop. Pretty great. So I think from a, from a, a sponsorship perspective... You're getting a lot for your money if you're a hero. Yeah, it's. Um, we'll see what what happens here. I would not be surprised if we get a WD before this. Unfortunately, if something goes wrong in the next sure. uh, yeah. twenty eight days, um, you never know what could happen in the next four weeks, considering uh, what Tiger's been through. Um, but it's bizarre. One of the guys who will be there is Justin Thomas. And I think that he took a big step when he won the, the CJ Cup. And the reason why I say this is that what has always defined great players, right? They win with their A games, their, their B games, and their C games. A definition of B or C game is not always physical. It can also be mental. He was exhausted. He was at his... He emptied the tank, as he said, after that playoff. He, he flew all the way to Malaysia because he was defending champion. He played in the nine... Um, Million dollar money grab and FedEx Cup points grab. Thank you, Jay Monahan. I have to say that FedEx Cup point grab. And um, he goes out there and look, he didn't play his best the whole time, but he goes down and gets it done and wins a playoff against Mark Leishman and just hits a sensational shot in the playoff to do it. And all the kudos to Justin Thomas because he went out there and did it. And I think that while nobody will remember this in this sense. I think this is a big win for Justin Thomas because he won with not his A game, because he knows he can now win when he's tired. I think that's an interesting development going forward. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I, the, these Asian tournaments can really mean something for a lot of different players and, and for different reasons, but I, I think it means a lot for Justin Thomas to have won out of gas he didn't have his best stuff. Uh, he came out of the gate very well, but after that, conditions got more difficult. Scoring was more difficult. I think that's another thing he can put as a notch in his belt. I played, I won a golf tournament with, with no energy and bad conditions. That's how good I am. And, and I think that can mean a lot moving forward. I, I was actually talking with someone I was playing with today about Justin Thomas and the window that he potentially has. And, and part of that limitation is the nature of his golf swing. I mean, he just puts so much torque and energy by pushing up the ground. He could be a shooting star that's like 10 years. But in that 10 years, he could rack up a lot of wins because he has the ability to, first of all, blitz fields and just run them over. But he's also now demonstrating the ability to win by playing maybe two good rounds, one or two good rounds in a tournament and then two pretty okay rounds, and he found a way to get it done. I think that that is a gear that Jordan Speed has that's better than anybody. His, his ability to win without his best stuff is probably the best of anybody in the world. But 
if Justin Thomas can develop that ability to do it a little bit more frequently, then that makes him, I think, an extremely dangerous player moving forward as a guy who's not just going to have one or two or three really good seasons, but that he could be potent for ten more seasons and get a lot accomplished. All right, it's time to put you on the spot. Um, and this is very inside golf, but this is a golf podcast that, that or, or at times golf podcasting it up, that sometimes gets very inside golfy. Where are you on the backstopping controversy? Um, and for those who don't know, backstopping is when a player hits a short game shot up on the green, another player has another short game shot, and the first player chooses not to mark which would then allow if the second player's ball hits that ball for it to act as a backstop and not roll by the hole. I, I don't really know. I mean, I, <laughs> I, understand, I understand both sides of it. I understand the journalist or the fan who watches and goes, hey, like they're, they're doing that on purpose. Like They're trying to give that guy a backstop. They're trying to give that guy an out. But at the same time, the retorts from the players themselves make sense where you go why would I want to help that guy like we're both playing for a million dollars I want the million dollars I want him to not have the million dollars so why would I try to help him that makes sense to me too but I feel like the excuses given from the players of you guys want us to play faster so sometimes we just don't have time to mark because we're trying to play faster well just like baseball's games are as long as ever it's not like golf's getting faster I mean, it's, golf's always been kind of slow at that level because of the amount of money that you're playing for. So I feel like there needs to be, if you want that to not be an issue, even if it isn't an actual issue, then the PGA Tour needs to say, dude, guys, like this looks bad. Even if you're not doing this on purpose, this looks bad. Go mark the ball. It's fine. Like we won't, we won't ding you for a bad time if you go and mark the ball so it doesn't look like you're trying to create a backstop for your fellow players. That all said, I don't I don't think it means that much because of how rare it happens. It's just because we notice it, uh, and it seems like it's something that maybe players are just lazy. I don't know, but we've noticed it more, so now it's an issue. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean it requires some kind of big course of action to fix it. It's weird. It's a very weird problem. I, I, I think your solution is good. I, I, I think it's a you know, uh, Jeff Shackelford, who I, I think is fair to say it's, has been as much out in front on, on this as any golf writer um, in the country. Um, you know, for him, it's a whole protect the field thing. And I think that's much like video uh, replays and, and call-ins and, 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 and the whole thing, which the Committee on Scorecards will hopefully solve soon. By the way, any uh, 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 by the way, by the way, any indication on that? I, I know the USGA had said they hope to have that resolved by the end of the year. I have not seen any stories leak yet about what that solution could be. I think uh, I'm not sure that's imminent. Any any word on that? I haven't heard of that either. So yeah, I don't feel like there's something coming down the pipe no, anytime yeah. soon, but. For me, I I would think their annual meeting at the start of the new year is probably the one we would be most likely to hear about it. I I just think that this is something that, much like the uh, Lexi Thompson uh, rule, which isn't the Lexi Thompson rule for a number of reasons, but much like that little fix about best intent, whole nine yards, um, 
I think they would want to run that out immediately uh, because of the horrible effect that it could potentially have once again on somebody. Um, so I would think sometime in the silly season, the very short off-season, they would maybe try to roll that out. Um, who knows? But um, for, for me, this is very much that if it keeps happening at the frequency that it's happening now, it's not a big deal for me. If it, if it gets worse, then that's something that obviously we need to take a look at. Um, it, it would be one, uh, just a, it would be one thing if two players were very overtly telling each other not to mark. Like, we don't yeah. see that. We're yeah. not like, like Justin Thomas is like, oh, no, 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 don't mark the ball. I'm going to hit your ball. Like, there, there is none of that. Like, and, or the, yeah. And, yeah, and the good news, like, okay, we're stopping this. Yeah, and, and and the good news on that, Ryan, is that this has been talked about enough on air by announcers that I got to think the people in the truck are looking for that moment and would get that oh, on yeah. air immediately if they caught it. Um, these are very smart producers down in the truck, and I think that this has become enough of an issue and it's been talked enough enough by their crews that 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 this would be brought to the attention fairly for sure. fast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two things that have nothing to do with each other, one of which is Fred Ridley and the other is Pat Perez. Is Pat Perez having the greatest renaissance of a late, uh, a, a older person's golf this side of Bernard Longer since maybe VJ? I mean, yeah, these... VJ's the poster child. Right. And, these and, two and wins, and, a, and, and I think Pat has a second thrown in there too, yeah. Um, post that horrible shoulder surgery is remarkable. I, I know what Bernard Longer is doing is once in a lifetime, basically. Um, but I, I'm really impressed by what Pat Perez has done. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable what he's accomplished. I mean, I, I remember talking to him basically this time last year, uh, and, and he was just happy to be playing golf again. But he felt confident that he could be relevant again, that he could build on one PGA Tour win. I'm not sure that he imagined getting a second and a third PGA Tour win in the space of effectively a year. I'm sure he didn't think that. But, yeah, I think among guys who are 40-plus or or darn near 40-plus, he's got to be that guy right now that has that mantle of he's the guy who could maybe take this as far as a, a major championship at some point. I mean, he's got the game to be able to do it. He certainly has the mental stability, mental capacity to be able to do it. I mean, he's he's willing to stare down anybody, and he is cocky enough to believe he can take down anybody, and he doesn't back down when he gets in contention. He finishes things off, which for a guy that had one PGA Tour win this time last year, basically, uh, for him to, to close out OHL and to close out uh, in Malaysia the way that he did, even with a big lead, it's hard to do. Uh, I don't care who you are, it's hard to close a big lead. It, it, I think it's incredibly impressive, and I think he still has some some ceiling left in what he could accomplish. Yeah. Um, and then, secondly, on Fred Ridley, um, just, I mean, you can't ask for a more accomplished next chairman of Augusta National Golf Club on on the golf side of things. Yeah. I, I, I'm i very curious what Fred Ridley will mean for the future of the Masters Tournament and Augusta National as a club. Because, like you said, he is the first chairman of the club and the 
tournament to have played in it in a significant way. So that's, cr- I mean, that just, it's crazy that that's never happened. But it's also pretty cool that this guy has the credentials to be able to go to the fellow members, to go to his fellow Augusta National members and say, look, we need to make changes to the golf course. We need to do this, this, and this because high quality players are going to demand it. You know, we, we need to change the fifth hole. We need to do this. We need to change the 12th hole. We need to, or sorry, 13th hole. You know, we need to do these things to make it more competitive relative to the technology that's available. The curious thing is Fred Ridley was a kind of controversial USGA president in that he didn't stop the development of technology. He didn't go after technology at that time. And he was a very corporate president. And so he started bringing in sponsors and kind of building up the bankroll of the USGA, which was really obviously what something Billy Payne did as the chairman of Augusta National, really built sponsorship and activation and having that one property, but also with the development of the Asia-Pacific Amateur and the Latin America Amateur and Drive Chip and Putt, you went down the line. So obviously Fred Ridley, Ridley has some business acumen. He has like a zillion club memberships. He's a rich dude, and he's an also very good golfer. So what kind of chairman will he be? Will he be focused more on the golf course and the presentation of the tournament for the players and, and the patrons, or will he be as worried about all of the kind of non-golf stuff that Billy Payne did, developed, and executed so well for the time he was chairman. I, I'm very curious what he will do. Yeah. Uh, final thing before we let you go. Any update on the National and if that will happen this year and the sponsor, anything like that? There's still not a lot of scuttlebutt about what's going to happen. Um, I, I think that the, the my general read on this, and I, I don't have this 100% right, so... You never know for sure, I guess. <laughs> but here's my general read, that obviously with the PGA Tour backing out of its contract with Congressional for 18 and for 20, I, I have a feeling that's probably a conditional backout, where they probably agreed to a certain deadline date, where if they get a, a title sponsor to come in for 18, 19, 20, 21, whatever the length of that term is, that they can still have that date those dates for those two years with with congressional if the sponsor doesn't come through if they don't get a sponsor whether they can't get quick and loans back or someone else then they will subsidize it for at least one year if not two and they'll have it at avenel for both those subsidized years so they'll have one year certainly subsidized if they don't do congressional with a new sponsor they'll do avenel again that's fine and then in 19, they would have been there anyhow. That was kind of the point. That was kind of the, the schedule to go to Avenel on the odd years and have go around the area otherwise on even years. So they could probably do that too. So I think you have a two-year potential life here, depending on what the PGA Tour chooses to do. But they also have other issues creeping up now because Houston still doesn't have a sponsor. Colonial does not have a sponsor. And now they have a hard deadline, apparently, of like December 1st to get some kind of coagulation of $11.5 million together. So the PGA Tour has a lot of balls to juggle, at least three at this point, in terms of long-term tournament sponsorship for events that have been either around in Houston or Colonial or mean something because it's Tiger's tournament. You don't want it to fail in a decade or less. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of activism the PGA Tour has in making sure these events stay on the schedule and how much they're willing to subsidize them. But I think each of those 
at least Houston and Tigers event will be subsidized for 2018 if they don't have a sponsor. Really quick, because I because I I um know you have to run, but you said something really interesting there. Colonial needs to figure out eleven and a half million dollars by December first of this year, or the event in eighteen won't happen. That's a report from the Star Telegram, and I don't that that's from a guy who has sources at Colonial right. Club. So I, I was I this morning, and I was like, "That that's crazy." There's no and so the thought is with Dean and Zaluka, which is apparently kind of cash strapped, has a lot of debt, so they're they have a huge debt payment due in a, in a few weeks. So they need all the money they can get to make this huge debt payment. So they're not going to be able to be the, the title sponsor for 18, but they may be willing to make a reduced contribution, and then they can kind of put together Colonial, all of the money that they need from other sources, uh, so they can kind of put this tournament together for one year and then hopefully get a title sponsor in 19 and beyond. But why, yeah. why wouldn't the PGA Tour put up that money like they're doing for the National and for Houston? So I think part of that is because this is an invitational tournament. So Colonial technically puts on this tournament. Right. Which right. that's a little bit different than other PGA Tour stops. Which like, are opens. And, and, you know, right, exactly. So that because it's an invitational, they're basically on the hook for raising all of the money. And it sounds like from the P, I mean the, the, the picture painted by this piece, and whether that's true or, or not, that there's some kind of discord between Colonial Country Club and its membership and the perceived support that they have in the PGA Tour to keep this tournament going. I, I don't know what that is or isn't, but I, I get the sense that because this is a unique tournament, because it's an invitational, and because it's always kind of been run through Colonial Country Club, that they are on the hook to make sure they have the money to run it. Or otherwise, the PGA Tour can do its own thing. They can get their own tournament filled in there. They can go to another TPC, get rent-free, get a whole bunch of charitable... Uh, donations as a result of that that go up because they don't have to pay the rent to the course, all that good stuff, and they would just let it go. So I guess that's kind of the the bottom line, is how much does the PGA Tour care about keeping Ben Hogan's de facto tournament on the schedule or not? And uh, I guess we'll find that out in the coming weeks. This is a wild story, and I'm not sure if it's in there or not because I haven't seen it yet, but you got to get Jordan Spieth involved in this. If there's anybody that can appeal yeah. to local businesses to do this, it is arguably the greatest market of the PGA Tour has right now in Jordan Spieth. And he's won this event. He will play this event forever. It's his home event. I mean... If there's anybody who would help save this, it would be Jordan Speed. This is a fascinating story. Ryan, thanks as always for coming on Teeing It Up. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you all for listening to Teeing It Up, and have a great night.